text text for us this evening comes from John chapter 17. We'll be taking the entirety of the chapter, and this is, for those of you who are familiar, this is our Lord's great high priestly prayer there in the upper room discourse, as he has spent the last several chapters teaching his disciples what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be in Christ, that we are the vine, uh, that he is the vine and we are the branches, and that he and the Father are one. Now he prays for them, he intercedes for them, and this is here a picture of what our Lord does for us in heaven. I know that uh, you spent time in Hebrews and now you're going through Leviticus. This is what we see a good high priest does in interceding for his people. When you wonder what is it that our Lord does for us in heaven as he's interceding for us, this is what our Lord does for us in praying for us. So this is our Lord's prayer for us. If you're using the Pew Bible, this can be found on page 757. John 17, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself for the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. 
I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us go once more to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with us this evening as we are considering your word, that you would watch over the words of my sinful lips, that you would watch over the meditations of all of our hearts, that these things would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For Lord, you are our strength, you are our rock and our redeemer, and it is in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen. What do you say to a child who asks you, what is prayer? Do you merely respond by quoting back to them Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 98? Or do you explain that prayer is a gift and a sign of our communion with God as our Father? Do you encourage them to take time to pray? Do you teach them to pray as Christ taught his disciples? And even pray for them as Christ did for his disciples, as we see here in John 17. Suppose after you have explained what prayer is to your child, they come back to you and, and they are struggling in prayer and the child says, I've tried to pray as you taught me to pray, but I struggle to pray. Why is prayer so hard for me? How would you respond to this child? How would you respond to your own heart with such questions, beloved? These are the questions that we all wrestle with. Everyone here has failed in prayer. Most likely many times in the past. And you're going to fail in prayer again in the future. What gives us confidence in our prayer? And why is prayer so hard? We are sinful beings coming into the presence of a thrice holy God. It is outside of our natural inclination to pray in our sinful nature. It is a very strange thing to pray, to come into the presence of a holy God and utter words and not be struck dead is an amazing thing. It is difficult for us to pray. And there are specific sins that we struggle with. Some sins we struggle with more than others in our prayer. But what are the sins related to prayer that you struggle with most? Do you struggle with God's sovereignty in your prayer? Do you struggle to be open and honest to God as a father, wondering why life is the way that it is? Do you struggle to stay focused in your prayer? Well, in all of these things, in all of these struggles, in all of the sins that we face in our prayer, where do we go? What do you do if you're struggling in prayer? Well, of course, the answer is we pray. And we ask for strength. 
And we have confidence to do this because our Lord has interceded for us. Our Lord continues to make intercession for us. Constantly in heaven. And so, as the author of Hebrews says, we may have boldness to come in. Not even, not just having our sins washed away, but having our conscience purified so that we can come boldly. What I hope to make clear in this message, what I've hopefully already made clear even in what I've said so far, is that Christ's heavenly ministry gives us this confidence to pray. Even as a child who struggles to speak to his parents, still has boldness to try to stumble through those sentences. So do we have that same boldness to try and try again to pray to our Lord because we desire to speak to him. And we know that even though we fail in our prayer, Jesus Christ does not fail in his prayer and intercession for us. So our first point for this evening is the glorious office of our gracious Savior. And we see this clearly in verses 1 through 8. Here in in John 17, a glorious account of our Lord Jesus Christ's office and dignity. Christ is our powerful high priest. He has received glory from the Father and he has authority to give eternal life. What is eternal life, he says? It's not just knowledge of the Father, but knowledge of the Son. And the glory that he has is not just a glory that he has attained on earth but a glory that he had before the foundation of the earth. And he gives this eternal life to whomever he wills. Eternal knowledge, eternal life is knowledge of God the Father and of God the Son. Our knowledge of the Father is mediated through our knowledge of the Son. Show us the Father, the disciples said. What did Jesus respond just a few chapters ago? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That they are one. We are enabled to approach the Father through the Son because it is the Son who stands at the right hand of the majesty on high on behalf of his sheep, interceding for us. Jesus accomplished all that was required for our salvation. And now he stands glorified in the presence of the Father, ready and willing to intercede for us even while we are sleeping, and especially when we are sinning. He is interceding for us. In the light of what will happen in a matter of few short hours here for the disciples, we observe a particularly gracious account of our Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, praying for them, interceding for those who, in a few short hours, will betray him and abandon him and watch him crucified. This is the graciousness of our Lord who prays for his disciples who will betray him. Prays for us when we will betray him. Jesus does not reject them, though he knows full well they will soon betray him. In fact, we see that Jesus considers them his ambassadors of truth. Despite their prideful and fearful hearts, Jesus says in verse 6, They have kept the Father's word. They believe and are embraced because of the work of God in them. They are the fathers. And the father has given them to the son and the son has preserved them and none of them fall away. 
They believe and are embraced because of the work of God in them. And this magnifies in our minds the gracious word and work of God in us. For we are a broken and corrupt people. Can you imagine being told to go and marry a spouse who would be unfaithful? A spouse who would not reciprocate your love and and even a spouse who would be unfaithful, as I've said, to marry a wife of infidelity. Imagine once more that this wife left you and showed no interest in returning to you. In fact, she sold herself to another because she had rejected your generous love to her and provision for her. And the Lord told you to go again and buy her back and to love her. This is the sort of behavior that seems impossible, beloved. And yet... Many of you are likely thinking, I've heard that story, I know that story. That's the story of Hosea. That's the story of my Lord and what he did for me. What he continues to do for me. Though I reject him and turn from him, the Lord comes and seeks me out and buys me back. This is what God told Hosea to do, so that it might be a symbol to Israel of the relationship and love that God has with his people. He says, he will betroth us to him forever. He will betroth us to him in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and mercy. And he will betroth us to him in faithfulness and we shall know the Lord. We have a God who loves us despite our failures. We have in Christ one who prays for us with drops of blood pouring down while we sleep because we're exhausted. Unaware of the temptations and trials that are at hand and yet we think there's nothing that could harm us. We are not vigilant, but the Lord is vigilant. The Lord knows the evil of the evil one. He knows that there is a devil prowling around like a roaring lion, always seeking to devour us. And so he does not cease to intercede for us. Even while we are unaware, the Lord intercedes for us. And this is a great comfort. The Lord Jesus takes up this glorious office of our high priest and graciously intercedes for us as sinners who will inevitably fail him. Jesus does not expect us to convert and never sin again. It's made clear in this prayer that he does not expect that. Else why would he pray for our sanctification? He knows that we will not be perfect when we are converted. How much have we failed in our prayer life? In all of our life, we failed much. We failed this week. Likely we failed today. Many of us have failed in our prayer. And yet we can be encouraged because Christ knew that we would fail him as we considered this morning. And he prayed for us even before we sinned. He prays for us after that we might repent and return to him and be strengthened. And even in our strength to go and strengthen others as he did for Peter. The devil has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you so that when you will return... 
you will come and strengthen your brothers. He knew Peter would sin and he knows that we will sin. And yet he prays for us that even in our sin, in the face of our sin, when we are faced with our sin, we will not reject God, but we will confess our sin, repent and turn to him. Just as Peter does, weeping when the Lord looked at him after denying him three times. The glorious office of Christ as our high priest shapes our identity as his people. Yes, we were once sinners living in darkness, but he has called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We are now distinct from the world, even at enmity with it. Jesus has prayed authoritatively in his prayer because of the glory that he has from the Father. As our high priest, as our God, as our Savior. May we learn to pray like this for others as we are the kingdom of priests. May we learn to pray for others as well. Our second point for this evening is that we are a holy people, distinct, but not separate. We are holy and distinct, but not separate. Jesus makes that clear as well. As he has called us out of the world, he has not literally called us out of the world. But he has distinguished us from the world. We see this in verses 9 through 16. The Lord Jesus' things for his believing people, which he does not do for the wicked. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but I pray for them. We know that the Lord is sovereign over all the world. That there is this common grace of rain on the just and the unjust. But there is a particular and precious and loving care that he has for his disciples. For you and I, beloved, that he does not have for those unbelievers. There is a particular care that our Lord Jesus gives to his people. Our Lord reserves special grace for his people. And Jesus confirms in this prayer what we confess in our baptism. That we belong to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus says we are even the treasure and glory of God in verse 10. Christ does not wish his believing people to be taken out of the world, but to be taken and kept from the evil of it. To be made distinct from the world so that when the world sees us, it knows that we do not belong. And there are implications for this, of course. We know that from verse from chapter 16, that the world will hate us. But we are distinct from it. Jesus has already distinguished us from the world. And now he prays in particular about the struggles that we shall face because we are, are in the world and Jesus is not. There's much that we could talk about here in regard to that, that it would seem this is an, a, a terrible thing that we are left in the world and Jesus is not with us. But what does Jesus say when he leaves? But I go to send the helper. It is better that I go so that you may be strengthened. And yet we are left in the world. He asks the Father to keep them that they may be united together with one another in him. Jesus also gives us the explanation for any who do fall away. Is God not sovereign over those who depart from the faith? Well, no, he says in in his prayer here why those who fall away fall away. It's not due to a failure or mishap on God's part, but quite the contrary, it's to fulfill the will of God. 
Just as Judas, who fell away, fulfills the will of God and the prophecy of God. Jesus spoke in their hearing and interceded for them so that they may have Christ's joy fulfilled in them. We have the word of Christ and his spirit in us. But the world despises us because we do not acquiesce to their standards. We do not allow the world to inform our lives. We do not allow the world to tell us how we are to worship God or what justice is. The word is truth. And that is our standard. We do not acquiesce to the standards of the world. We are image bearers of the one whom they hate. The one they tortured and crucified, our Lord Jesus Christ. What happens if you put oil and water together in a cup? They remain separate. They are contained together and yet they remain separate. What happens if you shake the cup violently or stir it? Still, it remains distinct and separate. Their very atomic makeup, their essence, prevents them from being joined together. Despite residing in the same space and enduring severe pressures together to be united to each other, they remain distinct. In a similar way, Christians remain distinct from the world. No matter what political, economic, or moral pressures are put on us, we remain distinct because we are not characterized by the world around us. We're not characterized by the pressures of this world, but by the word of God. We are defined by our union with Christ and not our union with the world. John talks about enduring the difficulties of living in the world in his first epistle. He says that believers overcome the world by faith in the blessed truth that Jesus is the Son of God. So we take comfort. The Lord does not call us out of this hostile world, but he does call us to overcome it by faith. Faith in certain truths and our, and our faith and comfort are reinforced by the knowledge that Jesus has overcome the world. That's how chapter 16 ended. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And this has an effect on us, doesn't doesn't it? John goes on to tell us that the faith we have in Christ informs our lives. This is again in his first epistle, 1 John 5. Specifically, our prayer lives are affected. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, just as the psalmist prayed in Psalm 116. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So do you see how these truths match the theology found in our standards? What we know informs and affects how we pray and what we pray for. It gives us confidence in our prayer and fervency in our prayer. It gives us comfort and peace in our prayer. For we know that he knows all that we need. And he is a good God. And he will not withhold anything good from us, beloved. Beloved. 
But he works all things together for our good. And so as we pray to him, as we are conformed into his image and desire the things of God, he provides these things to us. Because we learn to desire and ask for good things. Our Savior's glorious office and abundant grace determines our identity. It determines our relationship with this world. It informs our prayers for ourselves and for others. We learn to pray as Jesus prayed here in John 17. Confidently calling out to our Father in faith. Dependent upon His grace. And then learning to intercede for others. Praying for others who will be faced with trials and temptations. Here we see in this final point the intercession of Christ. We see this in verses 17 through 26. What is the intercession of Christ specifically? What are the petitions that he is laying before the Father? In verse 17 he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we see how Jesus prays that we may be sanctified, that we may grow in grace, conformed into the image of Christ. Holiness is the very thing to be desired of all the servants of Christ. How can the Holy Spirit be at work in you if you do not desire to be holy? Holiness distinguishes us from the world. It unites us to Christ and to one another. It fits us for heaven. What is heaven but a holy place? And so as we are made holy, as we are sanctified in this world, the Lord is preparing us for heaven. Preparing us to dwell with him forever. In heaven we shall be in the presence of a thrice holy God. And therefore we must be holy. The fact that Jesus prayed this tells us a few things about our nature in Christ while here on earth. We know that we are not perfect on earth. Justification and sanctification are not the same. Justification can be complete. But our sanctification is not complete. We are still waiting to be sanctified. And our sanctification ends at death. Despite being distinct from the world, our sanctification does not mean that we no longer sin. We also see that perfection, perfect sanctification, is not a part of justification. It's not a part of our union with God. We cannot listen to those who claim, if you are in Christ, you no longer sin. If you have been justified, you are fully sanctified. We also know that we are sanctified by God. Who is it that that Jesus is praying would sanctify them? He doesn't pray that the disciples would have the strength to sanctify themselves, but he prays to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. It is God who sanctifies. We also know that we are sanctified by the cleansing of the Spirit and the Word. Our standard of truth is also our standard of holiness. Finally, as I've already hinted at, the world does not get to tell us what is right and just. These social justice movements cannot tell us what is right and just. They cannot come and lord it over the church and say, this is what is justice. This is what is right. 
Only God can tell us what is just and right. God does in his word tell us what is right. And this is the measurement that he uses to sanctify us and conform us into his image. We don't go to the dictionary to to find out what is truth. What is justice? We go to the word of God and find truth and justice. And Jesus makes that clear, that it is the word that is truth. We also see here in this second petition, the first petition being that we would be sanctified. In the second petition, he prays for unity and oneness of his people. This is what Paul said to the Romans when he urged them. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Once again, we observe implicitly from this prayer that our Lord, who's praying for unity, knows there will be disunity. There's no need to pray for unity if there's already unity. He knows that there will be disunity amongst his disciples. These are the disciples, remember, who are arguing about who is the greatest. Disunity is present, and so he prays for unity. He knows that there will be dissensions and divisions. He knows that there will be church splits, that there will be slander and backstabbing in the church. So much so that Paul will have to rebuke the Corinthians for going to secular court against one another. Paul says, you're likely familiar with this passage I'm quoting from 1 Corinthians. Brother goes to law against brother. And what, before unbelievers? To have lawsuits with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? And so our Lord prays for unity. That his church, which is so disunited, so divisive, would be united. That they would be one even as he and the Father are one. He knew that in a matter of hours his disciples would abandon him. And yet he prayed for their unity. Jesus knew that over the next two millennia, his name would be tarnished and slandered by the terrible behavior of churches, denominations, and even individual believers. Yet he prayed also for us, who have heard and believed according to the testimony of his disciples. Did you notice that? Here in this prayer, the Lord is praying for us. In verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And we are reading the word of the Apostle John. We believe according to the word. The Lord is praying for us even in this high priestly prayer. Thousands of years before we even existed, the Lord is praying for us. Interceding for us. Asking that we would be United together. Christ is gracious and calls us to repentance. And even prays that we would be strengthened to resist such sin again in in the future. In this final petition in the Lord's intercession here. We see how Jesus prays that his people may at last be with him. And behold his glory. This is our hope in life and death. That we are not our own, but we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are assured of eternal life in his presence. Is there anything more that we long for, beloved? This is our goal, our desire, and this is what our Lord prays for us that we would attain. The psalmist says in Psalm 16, You make known to me the paths of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Paul says that this message of eternal blessedness in the presence of Jesus, our beloved, is the great message of consolation in the face of death. He says to the Thessalonians, encourage one another with these words that we shall meet the Lord in the air. We do not mourn as those without hope, but as those who long to see Jesus and know that we have hope. At our death, we shall be with Jesus. We shall see this beatific vision, the blessed vision of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul is teaching the Ephesians about the effect of the work of God on marriage, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. This is the picture that we see in this high priestly prayer. Praying and sanctifying us in the word, that we would be presented to him in splendor on the last day, That we would be nourished and cherished. And as I already quoted this morning, that we shall descend, the church shall descend, having the glory of God. There in Revelation 21. Certainly, this is the love that husbands are to have for their wives. But we observe here in John 17 that in a similar way, we are to love the church. Being united together in one body in Christ. This is to characterize our love and our intercession for one another, beloved. We have great comfort because Christ never ceases to offer up intercession for us in heaven. Christ is the perfect husband of the church. In his prayers for sanctification in the word. Unity and faith and doctrine and perseverance to the end. Notice these awesome connections between the Lord's Prayer, which we quoted in our prayers this morning, and our Lord's Prayer that we're considering this evening. We pray that He would deliver us from evil, just as our high priest prays. We pray that He would provide for us and forgive us our sins, just as Christ does. We pray that we shall be brought to heaven and united with our bridegroom. By the coming of his kingdom, just as Christ prays, that we shall praise eagerly for us, that we shall behold his glory. We gain incredible strength from Christ's love and intercession for us. So much so that we are able to mount up with wings like eagles. We are able to run and not walk. We are able to walk and never grow weary. His love for us makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And this is our response, beloved. We take notice that Christ has taught us to pray, not merely in the prayer that he gave to us, the Lord's prayer to his disciples, but also in the prayer that he prays for us. Men, do we pray this way for our wives? 
Parents, do we pray this way for our children? That they would be sanctified in the truth. That they would be preserved from evil. Do we pray this way for our brothers and sisters in the church? This is what it means to take on the office of a priest. As we are a kingdom of priests, beloved. We learn to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. We must learn to pray with Jesus as he does. How do we love and learn to pray for our brothers who have hurt us? By taking this to the Lord in prayer. And asking that he might strengthen us to forgive. And give us eyes to see Jesus in our brothers and sisters. We must remember that it is good that Christ has brought us together in one body. To pray for one another. And to encourage one another. We must rid ourselves of the thought that the church would be a better place if every Christian in it were just like us. Because we long for everyone in the church not to be like us, but to be like Christ. We pray with Jesus that all Christians would be more like him. Christ cares for his people and he knows what they shall face. He intercedes for us constantly and urges us to come to him for more grace and more mercy in our time of need. Have you been praying the Lord's Prayer, beloved? This is the challenge that we have for us. We know the Lord's Prayer. But may we meditate on John 17 and learn to pray as our Lord prays. Let us close in prayer. Lord, we are humbled that you pray for us who despise and reject you and despise and reject one another. We are so quick to turn our backs to you, to turn our backs to one another. And yet you pray for us that we would be united together in one body. You pray for us that we would be able to resist the evil one. You pray for us that we would be sanctified in your word. Lord, we ask that you would do this, that you would overcome the sinful desires of our hearts that you would work in us, sanctifying us in the truth of your word. Help us, O Lord, to learn to pray as you pray and to be conformed into your image. We pray for all of this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Final hymn for us this evening as we respond to the preaching of the word is All Glory, Laud, and Honor, hymn 325.